A Sunday school teacher who was teaching on the book of Jonah once asked her, the kids in her class, what the point of the book of Jonah was. And the kids all thought about it for a minute, and finally, one timid girl in the back raised her hand, and the teacher called on her and said, well, what's the point of Jonah? And the little girl said, the point of the book of Jonah is always travel by plane, never by boat. Always travel by plane. Not quite, but maybe, you know, maybe that is a lesson for us, that, that plane is, traveling by plane is better. But as we, as we have been looking at the, the book of Jonah, one thing is, it kind of rises as the central theme, and that is God's compassion, God's grace. The book of Jonah is all about God's grace. It's all about His mercy. It's all about His compassion. I mean, as we go through the book of Jonah, you see it repeatedly. You see in chapter 1, God is compassionate to a group of pagan sailors. He takes them from worshiping their idols to worshiping the one true God. Then in chapter 2 that we looked at a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, we see that, that God is compassionate even to a rebellious prophet. That His compassion extends even to us when we disobey. And God transformed Jonah and the fish brought him to a point of obedience. And what we're going to see today is God's compassion reaches to the lost. And not just, not just people who think that they're just a little bit lost. I mean, it reaches to people who are the farthest from God. People who think that there's no way that God could ever show mercy on them and show compassion on them. God's grace reaches to them. God pursued Jonah there in really all throughout the book in chapter 1 after Jonah rebels God starts pursuing him all the way to the sea and all the way as he's thrown overboard into the belly of the fish God pursues him and the book could just end right there it's such a good book it could end right there at chapter 2 but the question we would all wonder of course is well what happens to Nineveh you know, the city Nineveh that, that God told Jonah to go and preach to? What would happen to them? And so, it doesn't end at chapter 2. It picks right back up with Jonah being called a second time to go back and preach to Nineveh. And what we're going to see here is that God pursued Jonah. And I, I want you to get this. God pursued Jonah so that Jonah might pursue Nineveh. God pursued Jonah, the disobedient prophet, so that Jonah would pursue and reach Nineveh. And in the same way, uh, Nineveh, when you think about them, they would have been the, the least likely to come to God, but yet God still pursued them. God still preached to them, sent Jonah to them. And what we're going to see for us is that God's compassion reaches people who are the farthest from Him. Even today, the people that you would say they're the least likely person to ever come to the gospel, to ever come to Christ, God's grace reaches even them. As the words of, of a hymn that we often sing, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from heaven a pardon receives. So let's, let's look at the Word of God this morning in Jonah chapter 3. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we honor the reading of His Word? Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, 
that great city and call out against it the message that I tell you. So, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through all of Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn away from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. In the greatest verse in all of Scripture, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. Father God, Lord, when we think about the gospel, when we think about our great sin, those of us who are in Christ echo these words. Lord, the calamity and the destruction that we were willingly walking toward the moment that we trusted Christ, the moment that we believed, you turned away from your anger, you placed it on your Son, and the calamity that was promised to us, the wrath that was promised to us, you did not do it. Lord, I pray that we would learn a lesson from Jonah today. And the lesson that we learn, Lord, I, I, as we learn it, that we would see you so clearly. That we would see your grace, that we would see your mercy, and ultimately that we would see the cross of Christ. Where the wrath that you had touched down. Oh Lord, would you speak to us today through your word? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. You may be seated. As we, as we look at the text here in Jonah, the, the first thing that, that stands out here is the fact that God's pursuit of Jonah, God's pursuit of Jonah brought Jonah to the point where Jonah was to reach out to Nineveh. Or to put it in another way for us, God's pursuit of us compels us to reach the lost. Compels us to reach the lost. And as we, as we look at the first few verses there in Jonah 3, the, the Lord is calling to Jonah a second time. Aren't you glad when God gives us second chances? 
Aren't you glad when he just graciously, and we, we mess it up, and, and a lot of times he gives us third and fourth, and you know, on down you go. But I, I want to I call to your attention a word there in verse 1. Second. The second time. God called to Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. And why, why is that important? It's important because God is determined to get His prophet to Nineveh. God is determined to, to bring him to a point of obedience so that he might go to Nineveh and reach the Ninevites. And so God is doing whatever it takes to get His message to them. God hasn't forgotten about them. The story doesn't end in Jonah 2. Now, in case you've forgotten who the Ninevites were, what the city of Nineveh was, just a, a recap of several weeks ago in Jonah 1 when we talked about them, they, were, uh, they would become the capital of the Assyrian Empire, the city of Nineveh would be. And of course, we all know the Assyrian Empire, well, I say we all know, probably not many of us know because they're not around anymore. The Assyrian Empire was known for being brutal. They were known for their brutality. They would, they would conquer a kingdom, and then they would mock that kingdom and their gods, and they'd say, look, our God destroyed your puny little God. They were brutal to the people that they conquered. And of course, Nineveh would become one day their capital city. And a couple of times here, it says that Nineveh is a great city. We see that in in uh, verse 1 there, or sorry, verse 2 rather, Arise and go to Nineveh, God says, that great city. And then uh, on down a couple of verses later, in verse 3, Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, and it says, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. Nineveh was not just a small little country town. Nineveh was massive. Notice what he says, it's three days in breadth. Now, when scholars look at that, they're, they're divided because they're like, well... That would truly be a massive city if it took three days from walk, to walk from one side of it to another. And so most of them say, you know, more than likely it means it would take three days if you were to go to all the parts of the city, to all the neighborhoods of the city. It would take three whole days to do it. Truly a massive city. And God calls Jonah to go. And notice, unlike chapter 1, in chapter 3, when he calls him again, notice verse 3, So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. He obeyed. He obeyed. Now, a lot of times we want to look at this and say, well, you see there, Jonah obeyed, so how, look at how faithful Jonah is. But really, when we look at that, we can't help but say, the reason Jonah obeyed was because of God's grace. God's grace pursued him. God's grace transformed him to the point where he did obey. It wasn't because he is smarter. It wasn't because he's more faithful. It's because God showed him grace. And likewise, when we obey, when we're faithful to the Lord, we can't take credit for it either. We're only obedient to the Lord if we're in Christ because His grace to us, because He gives us the Holy Spirit to dwell in us and cause us to obey. And so Jonah finally obeys God, and it's because of God pursuing him. It's because of God's compassion on him. And the point behind all of it is that God pursues Jonah so that Jonah might pursue Nineveh. 
we also should pursue the lost with the same intensity that God pursues us. That means that when we think about our mission, when we think about what we're to be doing as a church and as individuals, we are to pursue the lost because God first pursued us. And so that has a couple of implications. First of all, that means that we should pursue the lost no matter how much they hurt us. No matter how much they hurt us, no matter how, how un, undeserving they are of us to reach out to them, what we see here is that because God pursued us, we're to pursue them. And what that means is that as we pursue them and as, as people hurt us and as we think they're undeserving and we say, Lord, how long am I going to pursue this person? How long am I going to keep sharing Christ with this person? How long am I going to put up with this person? And I mean, you could almost hear God say, I want you to pursue them and I want you to put up with them and I want you to keep on going just as much as I kept on going with you. And I don't know about you, but when I think about my life, God had to pursue me before I came. And the same for you. And as we know our, our deepest, darkest sins, and we know uh, inwardly how wicked and corrupt we are, and how much it took God pursuing us before we came, and how God, how it takes Him pursuing us even now, we should never say, well, I've just reached the end of my rope. I'm not going to reach that person anymore. I'm not going to try anymore. Because our God is a pursuing God, and therefore we must be pursuing people. But the second implication of that is, no one is ever too far gone to receive the mercy of God. No one is ever too far gone. Nineveh, that great city, that great pagan city, was not too far gone for God to send a prophet to them to proclaim hope. To proclaim His judgment. To proclaim, if you repent and turn away, I will restore you. I will forgive you. No one is too far gone. And so I want you to hear that today. If you think that you are too far gone, you think that what I have done, Pastor, I've, I've gone too far and God will not take me. Then you don't know the mercy of our God. He can go down to the lowest hell and rescue people. He can go and find us at our very worst. And we're still even then not too far for His hand to reach us. I've seen it in my life. People that I've written off that I said, you know, that person will never change. That person will never get any better. That person will never come to Christ. And God just loves proving me wrong every time I say that. And I've seen people that I've written off and said they are too far gone. And God says, no, they're not. Just watch. And I've seen Him faithfully bring them to a knowledge of Him. No one is too far gone for the grace of God. The second thing that we see in this passage is that God uses our proclamation to reach the lost. So God pursues us that we might pursue them. And then a, a truly just miraculous thing, He uses our proclamation to reach the lost. He doesn't need to. He's God. He could just have a rock cry out for him. He could send you know, messages down from heaven and, and, and convert people, but he chooses to use us. Just like, as we see in the text, he uses Jonah's proclamation. Notice, 
in verse 4, as Jonah gets to Nineveh, he began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. God's prophet goes in and proclaims God's judgment. Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be gone. Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Your wickedness has reached the Lord. Now, I don't think that's the total message that he gave them. I think the book of Jonah is just trying to encapsulate it with one sentence. I think there was more to the message than that. But basically, Jonah is going into Nineveh and he's proclaiming that a day of judgment is coming. He's proclaiming that their evil does not go unnoticed by the one true God. And that His judgment, His wrath is going to come against them. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And I want you to see what happens next. Verse 5. And the Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, believed God. They believed. In fact, the way that this is structured in the, in the original language suggests the immediacy of their belief. Jonah didn't just go preaching around and, and then eventually they believed. No, he came and he proclaimed God's judgment was coming and they believed Him. They believed Him and they repented. Notice what it says about their repentance. Notice what they did. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least. And of course, the, the, the idea of putting on sackcloth and sitting in ashes is an outward sign of that time of, of repentance. Basically, putting on the most basic clothing you could find, just wrapping yourself in, in sackcloth and covering yourself in ashes. It showed mourning, weeping over sin. It showed that a, a group of people or a person was repentant for their sin. They were wanting to turn. They had true godly sorrow. And notice, from the greatest of them to the least. It was a universal repentance. You didn't just have the poor people saying, well, we're going to come to Christ. You had the highest of the high, the richest coming to Christ. Coming to know God's grace. The people believed God. And then as the narrative continues to unfold for us, we see that it actually truly does reach the top. Doesn't it? It reaches the top. The king, it says. The king of Nineveh. The word of the Lord reached the king of Nineveh and he arose from his throne. Look at, look at what he did. He arose from his throne, verse 6. Removed his robe. Can you imagine the king of Nineveh? And all of his splendor and all of his majesty getting off of his throne, taking off his royal robe and covering himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. The word of the Lord is so powerful that it reaches even the mightiest king. It reaches the highest person in Nineveh and look at what he does. He repents and then he issues a proclamation and published throughout all of Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Let neither man nor beast Herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way. He issued a proclamation and he basically called on the people 
to turn to this God and to stop doing evil. To turn away from evil. And notice the hope that the king had in this repentance. Notice his hope. Verse 9. Who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from His fierce anger so that we might not perish. The king was hopeful. We have repented and so God, maybe God will relent. Maybe God will not bring this on us. God used Jonah and his proclamation to save the great city of Nineveh. The city that you would think was the farthest from God. When I think about that, I think the gospel works. The gospel works. As we go and we share the gospel with people, as we go and we tell lost people that there is hope for them, as we call on them to repent and trust Christ, Know that the gospel works. That it will have an effect. That the Spirit of God is working in people still to this day. And the Ninevites coming and believing the Word of the Lord is not just something that happened back then, but people are still today responding to the gospel. We don't need to think that, well, that was just something back then, but we're, we, we just can't experience that today. No, we need to have expectant attitudes that as we proclaim the gospel, that people will respond. And notice that Jonah didn't just think that, well, maybe some of the people are, are going to believe. No, the whole city believed. As we go and share the gospel, we likewise, we need to dream big. We need to realize that the gospel is not just going to win a few people to the Lord, but we need to go out there saying, no, I believe that the gospel has the power to win our entire city to the Lord. I believe that the gospel has the power to win our entire parish to the Lord. I believe that the gospel could turn our our parish upside down. It could set the people who are farthest from God free from their addiction to drugs. It can set, set the vilest person free from their addiction to pornography. But it doesn't just stop there. I believe that the gospel is powerful enough to not just win our town, not just win our community, not just win our parish, but I believe it can win our whole state, our whole nation, and indeed the whole world. And let me tell you, when God looks at our vision as a church, I don't think God finds our vision too big, but I think He might find it too small. Because we need to be a church body. We need to be a group of people that doesn't just say we want to reach our community with the gospel. We want to have a worldwide vision. We want to not just let our mission go here, but we want to let our mission go overseas to the ends of the earth, to the smallest town, to the greatest town. Because not only does the gospel work, not only does the gospel truly save people, But the gospel message implies that we should share it with the entire world. With a global vision. As Jonah goes to Nineveh, they believe. And then finally, lastly, the greatest verse in all of Scripture, I believe. Verse 10. Verse 10. 
when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them, and He did not do it. He relented, and He did not do it. Notice, God saw their repentance. God did not just see the evil that they were doing, but God actually saw it and they repented. And then He acted. I love the way the King James puts it. It says that God repented. Of course, the Hebrew word there is the same Hebrew word of what they're doing. God repents of the calamity that He was going to bring on them. Notice just the, the, the figure of speech there. The people repent of their evil way, so God repents of the calamity that He was going to do to them. He relents over their disaster. He relents and He does not do it. I think that we need to see a greater story unfolding here. Because this story is merely meant, I believe, to foreshadow for us a greater story. Because here in part, we see God forgiving Nineveh. But as the story of Scripture unfolds before our eyes, we see that it points to the fact that one day God's calamity, God's judgment, God's wrath was going to land on His Son. The forgiveness that came to Nineveh came at the cost of what was going to be put on His Son. And so, when we read here that God relented of the disaster He said He would do to them, He did not do it. It's because He did do it. But it comes some thousands of years later as the wrath of God touched down on Calvary's hill. And so, as what we see here is God's wrath is absorbed when the lost repent. But our God is a just God. He does not let the guilty go unpunished. And so, when it says that God relented of the disaster, He's not just sweeping their sin under the rug. He's not just saying, well, I'll just forgive you. But it has to be dealt with. It has to be dealt with. When God forgives sinners, the sin has to be dealt with. And so, how does our just God deal with it? How does God uphold His justice while at the same time forgiving lost sinners? And He does it. He does it by placing the penalty of our sin on His Son. So that God can both be gracious to the lost. He can forgive people, but at the same time He can say, I'm a just God and I take sin very seriously. We're told in the Gospels that Christ lived a life that we should have and could not live. A perfectly righteous life. A perfectly holy life. Unlike you and I. And then we're told that He went to Golgotha, the place of the skull, was hung on a cross, and that while He hung there, the wrath of God was placed on Him. He died a death that we deserve to die. God let the Ninevites go free because He knew that one day that He would place their, the penalty for their sin on His Son. Back in the day, Back in the homesteading day, people, everybody was going west to get a homestead and to just you know, spread out that way. There was a group pulling their wagons 
going out west for a new life. And as they traveled, they were just full of expectation and hope that maybe their life out here would be better than the life they were leaving behind in the east. And as this family traveled, pulling their their wagons behind the horses, they saw a truly horrific sight. The father saw in the distance great white smoke coming up off the plains. And he knew immediately what it was. He knew immediately what it was. He knew that that smoke was a great fire that was racing towards them. And in his terror, he knew that there was nothing he could do. He couldn't turn the horses around and ride the other way because he couldn't get away fast enough. The wall of fire, the wall of smoke was so wide he couldn't just go around it. He knew that that fire was going to catch up and devour his family. And as his family started seeing the situation and his children started crying out in fear, he finally thought of what he needed to do. He struck a match, placed it on the ground, and he started a fire. And then the fire that he started grew, and it grew, and finally it grew just big enough, just big enough, where he could take his wagon and put it on the place that had already been burned. And there they sat and they waited. They sat and waited, and as the great wall of fire that was barreling towards them came near, his daughter, very scared, said, Daddy, are we going to make it? And he said, Yes, honey. Because we are standing on a place that has already been burned, so the fire cannot touch us. We are standing on a place that has already been burned. That day on Calvary, as our Lord hung on the cross, the wrath of God, the fire, the fierce anger that God has towards sin touched down that day at the cross. And so, as we hear God saying, yet 40 days and you will be overturned. As we hear God saying that His wrath is coming against us for our sin. There's only one place that we can run to and be safe. And it's the place that has already been burned beneath the cross. God's wrath is absorbed because it's already touched down. And so that means when we flee to the cross, when we go to the cross, we find that our sins are forgiven. We find that we have peace with God and a relationship with God that we were created for. As we stand at the cross where the ground has already been burned, we find that we are being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. As we stand there at the cross where the ground has been burned, we realize that before the courtroom of the Almighty Judge, a not guilty verdict is handed down. And as we stand there beneath the cross that has already been burned, we find joy Fulfillment that we've never felt before. And so church, listen. When it comes to your standing before God, don't don't depend on your rule keeping. 
Don't depend on your ability to earn your way in. But just go to the cross every day. Every day when you wake up, run back to the cross. Stand beneath the cross. We see that God's pursuit of us compels us to reach the lost. It compels us. We see that God's, God uses our proclamation to reach the lost. We need to open our mouth. We need to share the gospel. Finally, we see that God's wrath is absorbed when the lost repent. You can be forgiven today. You can be forgiven today. God's compassion reaches people, even the people who are farthest away from Him. Even the people who are the farthest away. As we transition to a time of invitation and response, we don't just want to be a group of people that hear God's Word, but we want to be a group of people who responds to it. So if you're here this morning and you're a Christian, maybe even a member of this church, to you the response is simply this, live on mission. Live on mission. There is a perishing world around us and we need, like Jonah, to reach them with the Gospel of Christ. We need to be intentional. We need to share the Gospel at the gas station, at work, at school. And all the places that we go to, we need to be sharing the Gospel and having intentional Gospel conversations. But Maybe you're here this morning and you're just, you're just not sure whether or not you've been forgiven. Maybe you're having doubts and you, you might say, oh, I'm a Christian and I'm having doubts. Or maybe you say, I'm just not a Christian. To you this morning, the invitation is to draw near to God. To draw near to the cross and receive forgiveness. To draw near to the cross you, like the Ninevites, can be forgiven. If these pagan Ninevites can be forgiven, I promise you can too. God's grace is enough. This morning, the invitation for you is to repent and to trust Christ. Stop trusting in your own ability and start trusting in Christ. God invites you to come just as you are. Just as you are. And He will take you and transform you. A woman by the name of Charlotte Elliott thought back on that one day, on her day that God saved her, and she was just mesmerized by the fact that God could take her just as she is. She didn't have to clean herself up. And she was a very bitter woman. Hated God. And she realized I can come to God with all of my hate. With all of my sin. Just as I am. And He'll have me. These are the words that she wrote. Just as I am. Without one plea. But that. Thy blood was shed for me. And that thou bids me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Just as I am, 
you will receive. You'll welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because your promise, I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. Would you come this morning? Father in heaven. Father in heaven, would you remind us of the gospel? The gospel that tells us how sinful that we are and the wrath that was coming for us, but promises us hope. It promises us as sinful as we are, as messed up as we are, that we can come to the cross. And there at the cross, we can be forgiven and made new. God, I've seen You do it. I've seen You take people who are so far from You and bring them near. And so this morning, Lord, I pray for the same thing, Lord, that people who are far from You say, I'm too dirty. If people knew my secret, if they knew what I've done, they would never let me in here. Father, I pray that there's somebody in here like that this morning, Lord, that You would convict their heart and show them that they are not too far gone to receive Your grace. And that it's not hard for them to receive Your grace. All they have to do is come and throw themselves at Your mercy. Throw themselves at the cross. And trust Christ to save them. God, as I reflect on the gospel, Lord, I realize that it's the power of God unto salvation. That the gospel is powerful, that the Holy Spirit still works. And so, Lord, I pray that you would take us as a church, remind us. Remind us, Lord, that the gospel still is powerful. Remind us, Lord, that as we proclaim the gospel to the lost around us, that people will respond because, Lord, You are in the saving business, Lord. You, your Spirit is at work as we go. Lord, center us on our mission. Make us so mission-minded with a mission for our community, a mission for our parish, a mission for our state, a mission for the whole world. In Jesus' name.